Support for the Legislative Gazette comes from New York State United Teachers, a union of professionals standing with more than 600,000 workers in education, human services, and health care with the Our Voice, Our Values, Our Union campaign. And United University Professions, representing 37,000 academic and professional employees at SUNY campuses and teaching hospitals across New York State. Frederick E. Cole, President, UUPinfo.org. New York Governor Kathy Hochul delivered her first State of the State address this week to a limited audience, with the pall of the pandemic casting a shadow over the proceedings. But the Democrat remained upbeat, pledging to lead New York out of the pandemic. More now from the Legislative Gazette's Karen DeWitt. Hochul spoke to a subdued audience of 50 or so lawmakers, aides, and pool reporters in the cavernous assembly chamber. Thank you, Lieutenant Governor. The governor, who's been dealing in recent days with a record-breaking spike in positivity rates for the virus and a fraying society, says she will be laser-focused on keeping kids in school, businesses open, and keeping New Yorkers' lives as normal as possible. This is not a moment of despair, but a moment of great possibility. Because while we're in the midst of an all-consuming crisis, we also remember that if we make the right choices right now, it will end. Hochul outlined an ambitious array of programs that she says will help bring the state and its pandemic-ravaged economy back. Among them, a $10 billion multi-year plan to support health care workers, a billion-dollar property tax rebate, and the acceleration of a phased-in middle-class tax cut, as well as tax breaks for small businesses. Hochul will also use money from generous federal aid packages to complete numerous infrastructure projects around the state. Hochul is the first woman to give a State of the State address in New York. She replaced former Governor Andrew Cuomo. He resigned in disgrace after numerous scandals, including allegations of sexual harassment and overseeing a toxic, bullying workplace. Hochul did not mention her predecessor by name, but she pledged a new era where lawmakers share success and fight not for political turf, but for the interests of the people of the state. In the days of governors disregarding the rightful role of this legislature, are over. The days of the governor of New York and the mayor of New York City wasting time on petty rivalries are over. The governor also promised to address the state's numerous ethics controversies, and she says she will replace the politically weighted Joint Commission on Public Ethics, or JCOPE, with a rotating board of law school deans. And she outlined a previously announced proposal to limit statewide elected officials to just two four-year terms. Her predecessor, Cuomo, had intended to run for a fourth term before he left office in August. For government to work, those of us in power cannot continue to cling to it. Hochul also addressed the state's rising crime rate and what she says is the very real uptick in gun violence. And she pledged to double down on programs like gun tracing and better monitoring of social media. In an accompanying 200-page book outlining her priorities, the governor backed what's known as clean slate legislation, a measure favored by progressives in her party. It would seal conviction records once a person has served their time for the crime they committed. She also, in her speech, made no mention of any changes to the state's bail reform laws, which critics say have contributed to higher crime rates. Senate Majority Leader Andrea Stort-Cousins, like Hochul, is a Democrat. She says she looks forward to a collaborative relationship with the governor. Stort-Cousins agrees that now is not the time to make changes to the bail laws, saying data is just now being collected. We want criminals to be punished. We want uh, people to do the right thing. 
but I do not want our uh, system of justice to be dependent on whether or not you can buy yourself out. Republicans who are in the minority in the legislature say preliminary data shows there were 3,500 additional crimes committed because some of those released without bail broke the law again. Senate GOP leader Robert Ort says that's too high a price to pay. To be more socially just or more woke that, well, you got to break a few eggs if you're going to make an omelet. I don't, I don't look at it that way. Senator Ort says he is pleased, though, that the governor is backing term limits, and he says he hopes the Democrats in the legislature will follow through. In Albany, I'm Karen DeWitt. Listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York State government and politics. I'm David Gustina. Joining us now, Legislative Gazette political observer Alan Shartalk. New York Governor Kathy Hochul delivered her first State of the State address yesterday. Alan heard it here on WAMC outlining an agenda for an economic comeback from the COVID-19 pandemic and new government investments in health care, housing and renewable energy. Hochul spoke before a limited socially distant audience in the Assembly Chamber at the New York State Capitol. Among other initiatives, Hochul is proposing a $10 billion plan to grow the state's health care workforce by 20 percent over the next five years, saying the pandemic worsened long-simmering staffing problems. I saw one analysis in the Times, Alan, that says she's got proposals that will please almost everybody in her constituency for election. Your thoughts? Well, I thought it was a competent speech. I've called her competent all along. Rosemary Armeo, our brilliant analyst on the roundtable the other day, said that she doesn't show the kind of passion or the kind of insight that a governor would show. That may be. I don't know. But what she is doing is cleaning up the Cuomo mess. She's replacing, for example, Jacob, which is the Joint Commission on Public Ethics, which is supposed to call foul. Now, we know that Cuomo basically appointed a group which was going to be very protective of him. She knows that, and she knows it's a very scary proposition. So what she has suggested is that the deans of the law schools constitute that commission. Well, David, when I worked for the police commissioner in New York years ago as an educational consultant, I brought the deans of all of the schools of social work into a room. And the assumption was they were all going to go for a group of people that would put social work students into the various precincts. Well, those deans started to fight with each other and talk about whose philosophy would be the ones that would carry the the whole day (laughs) forward. And you can be pretty sure the same thing would happen here. But she's in a tough spot because Cuomo had made such a mockery out of the whole thing that if she maintains the power to a point, nobody's going to believe in it. So she says to the various deans, you do it. And I would say, you want to bet? Yeah, and the speech was not without criticism, most obviously from the Republican side, but many trying to tie her to the legacy of Governor Cuomo. Look, she's his lieutenant governor. Look what he did. Look how he was. Then there's the issue of bail reform, Alan. You had the Senate Republican conference leader, Robert Ort, saying, we got to change these bail reform laws. The Republicans have been pounding the Democrats, blaming them for the uptick in violence because of bail reform. Meanwhile, the governor, Hochul, made no mention of any changes to the state bail reform 
reform laws, but she did back something called clean slate legislation, which would seal conviction records once a person has served their time for the crime they've committed and called for looking into the sale of illegal firearms. Well, look, bail reform really proved to be a massive help for the Republicans in New York State the last time out. People want to be safe. And it was put to them that they would not be safe as long as dangerous criminals were being released and going on under bail reform, which, by the way, theoretically is proper. You absolutely think that everybody should be let out on bail. If somebody's poor, the bail should be less. If somebody's rich, the bail should be more. So it's right. Nevertheless, not to people who think dangerous people are getting out of jail and causing a threat to my safety and the safety of my family. So it's a winning proposition for the Republicans. The problem for the governor is that many of the people who are in the legislature now, particularly the state Senate, see themselves as progressives and as fair. And if she threatens them and she's adamant that she won't do that, that's clear. She wants to be liked by the progressives and the conservatives. And so this is a tough one for her and will continue to be. Well, Alan, let's continue a little bit with the speech because, as I mentioned in the open, the it has something for everyone, health care, education, sure. you know, criminal justice, ethics. And the constituencies that she's appealing to when it comes to re-election in New York comprise a number of very large unions. Well, look, if you're attempting to make the unions happy, you get up there and you say what they want to hear. And what they want to hear is more construction. Obviously, the construction unions are very important in New York, and you try to satisfy their needs with what you say. On the other hand, what you don't want to do is to create a kind of contretemps where the people who are out of power can seize on what you're saying and turn it around and use it against you in a coming election. We used to call Governor Hughes of New Jersey two buckets because it was as if he was walking around with a bucket of water on each shoulder trying to balance them. That's what you see here, that she better watch out or they'll call her two buckets. And she's sitting around the table, I'm sure, with her advisors, and they're thinking, okay, if we say this, we get this union. If we say this, we get that union. That's the way politics is practiced in New York. And right now, she's riding high in the polls and other places, in which case this will all work out. On the other hand, time has a way of pulling people down. We know that, and we'll have to see if that happens here. Yeah, and just where I was going to go, Alan, as time goes on, you know, who's her fight with during the session? I mean, she's got the majorities in both houses, super majorities. The Republicans really aren't a factor here in that sense. So who's Hochul going to have her fight with? The progressives? Well, she can't. She can't take them on. Look, right now, she and the legislature are as of one. They are together. She doesn't want to ruin that. She wants to make sure she appeals to them and that she doesn't do anything which is going to create friction of the kind you saw between the legislature and Cuomo. And so she says things that will please them, and we'll see whether it works, because there's always another side to every story. Legislative Gazette political observer Alan Chartong.
You are listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York state government and politics. I'm David Gustina. Joining us now on the Legislative Gazette is Ken Lovett. He's a former Albany bureau chief for the New York Daily News, now a consultant with i Strategies. Welcome, Ken. It's good to be back. Good to be talking with you. Now, obviously, you've been covering and have covered the legislature for many, many years as a former journalist and now as a consultant. Why don't we start with, because I know you want to comment on the State of the State address delivered by Governor Kathy Hochul this week. The issue for you in your new role at i Strategies is equity. Why don't we explain to our listeners what i Strategies is and does and what that means in terms of what the governor said this week? Sure. i Strategies is the largest black-owned professional service firm in uh, the U.S. And what we try to do is help direct money to underserved communities, communities of color, low-income neighborhoods. Uh, we work with corporations. We, do, we use research and analytics uh, heavily in the neighborhoods that are being targeted to find out wh- where there are problems and what you know, companies and governments can do to help solve them and, and also to uh, engage in aggressive community engagement uh, so that they're listening to the people in the neighborhoods that are affected. So how does any, and you pick one, any of the proposals the governor outlined in her State of the State address address what you're looking for to reach these underserved communities? Well, I think, look, the, the governor made it clear. I think one, one of the big points of her speech was about infrastructure. And, you know, normally a boring topic, roads, bridges. But uh, really, in, in, in times past, a lot of infrastructure projects were used to either hold down or, or actually harm communities of color. For instance, uh, roadways, bridges uh, to the Long Island beaches were designed so the, uh, the overpasses were lower than normal, so buses from the five boroughs couldn't get there uh, to the Long Island beaches. So uh, with the federal infrastructure bill uh, going to be a big boon for the state, the governor made it clear not only are there going to be these major projects, but a lot of the projects are going to be used to correct some of the damage that was done in, in decades past. That could include uh, capping parts of the Cross Bronx, Pro, Cross Bronx Expressway when built really divided the Bronx. It could include uh, doing things to the Kensington Expressway in her native Buffalo, which also did the same thing, I-81 in Syracuse. Um, these were all road projects and bridge projects that really divided communities, and she wants to fix that and using infrastructure to help up, uplift these communities. And where would you fit in the picture at i Well, I mean, look, I mean, we, like I said, we could work with communities and, and with uh, government agencies to certainly help find uh, the issues, find what's needed, uh, help them, direct them to who they need to talk to in the communities, not just lawmakers, but certainly uh you know, influencers, whether they're uh, people in the religious community or just advocates, uh, people they need to talk to and help devise a strategy to try and help avoid the problems before they become major problems that can delay or torpedo a project. You know, there's a lot of what we call nimbyism, right? Not in my backyard kind of things when big projects are proposed. You know, what i tries to do is we'll work and try to avoid those nimbyism problems before they become a problem by using research and analytics and really getting down and and digging deep into what the issues are in in each individual uh, community. 
Well, pick any other issue on the list. I mean, you could start with health care, education, criminal justice reform. What other areas here that she's proposed? And she's proposed pumping a lot of money, for example, into health care. A $10 billion plan would be in your realm to, again, promote equity among diverse communities. Well, look, I, I think uh, I, you got to give credit. Uh, the governor had a lot of issues that she laid out that she wants to tackle that will deal with equity, whether it's uh, uh, making sure that the uh, burgeoning cannabis uh, industry um, helps the communities that were hit the hardest with, by the war on drugs. Uh, that, that, that's a big issue, whether it's affordable housing and, and building more affordable housing in, in different neighborhoods. All those kinds of things that the governor mentioned, whether it's beefing up schools, um, there's a lot she had mentioned uh, uh, in her speech that dealt with equity. And there's, look, there's a lot of issues that are controversial. You know, there's bail reform, there's, uh, there, there's um, universal health care, but, but those are going to be heavy lifts, especially in, a, in an election year. But what she laid out, there were a lot of things dealing with equity that can be done that are, are far less controversial, but will be extremely impactful if they move forward. He is Ken Lovett, former Albany Bureau Chief for the New York Daily News, now a consultant with i Strategies, speaking about the governor's State of the State address this week and a major issue when it comes to proposing legislation, equity. Ken, thanks so much for joining us on the Legislative Gazette. Anytime. Be well. You are listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York State government and politics. I'm David Gustina. As the nation paused this week to mark the January 6th riot at the U.S. Capitol, one year later, New York Congressman Paul Tonko, who was in the chamber at the time, also took time this week to mark the somber anniversary. The Legislative Gazette's Dave Lucas has more. Tonko recounted his experiences inside the House gallery last year on a virtual press conference Tuesday. The Democrat from the 20th District says while Congress was in session, it became apparent that something unusual might be underway. And as the crowd began to get louder and louder, you realize that there was an attack on the Capitol. Um, you started to witness everyone being removed from the House floor. We were somewhat trapped in that gallery setting and saw them barricading the doorways uh, that were accessed to the second floor house chamber and um, began to hear a lot of, you know, the, the noise got louder and louder. You heard that, um, you know, there were warnings, there were guns, there were gunshots, there were, you know, concerns about different uh, type of equipment that people might have and uh, witnessed like a, a shot that came uh, right outside the chamber floor, uh, the chamber itself, uh, at the doorway. Tonko characterized the experience as frightening and said he immediately understood that American democracy must be protected. I think we do that by making certain that uh, we strengthen access to the voting booth 
that we make certain that there are efforts like the John Lewis Voting Rights Act and for the People Act that provide for the guidelines and, and strengtheners uh, of the voting process and the campaign process in general um, and uh, the legislative process that would, uh, I think, for make for a sounder outcome. And I think that uh, that's all very essential uh, in light of the events of just about a year ago. Tonko says a healing process is still required, adding even though the foundation of our democracy withstood the test, there is plenty to learn from the riot. And we must take all the information we can get garner uh, through the select committee, uh, share it with the public, um, you know, cross-examine as many as, as are available. And there are many, many witnesses that are being uh, secured here. Uh, that will give us our path forward. And, um, you know, it, uh, it it's... It's that important, I think, to our democracy that uh, we do this work um, and do it with uh, very sound professionalism and thoroughness that will uh, respond to the needs of the public and the generations uh, of, uh, of Americans that will follow us. The fallout from January 6 continues. Dozens of arrests and convictions have been made, and there are said to be hundreds of individuals still facing charges. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Dave Lucas. Listening to the Legislative Gazette, program about New York State government and politics. I'm David Gustina. The small Saratoga County city of Mechanicville will consider changing its system of government in 2022. The Legislative Gazette's Lucas Willard takes a closer look. Incorporated as a city in 1915, Mechanicville has a unique commission style form of government, where department heads also serve as the city's legislative body. Mechanicville and Saratoga Springs are the only two cities in the state that still use the system, a detail not lost on outgoing Republican Mayor Dennis Baker. There's got to be a reason that every other city and town and village in the state went away from this form of government. And if you've lived it, you kind of know what that reason is, and it's time to change it. But I don't want to be influencing people out there. I want them to look at whatever the committee presents them and, you know, then make a decision off of that. Baker has appointed a nine-member committee that will review the city charter. The committee has not yet met, but is expected to begin its work in the new year. The mayor said he wanted to avoid a politicized review process. I wanted to do it at the end of my term so that it didn't appear I was trying to do it to extend my term or to be that person, because I, I really have no desire. But I do think that we need to look at it and change it. Mechanicville Commissioner of Accounts Mark Sieber will chair the review committee. First thing we did, we reached out to the Republican Party, the Democratic Party, and the Conservative Party in the city and asked them to uh, you know, appoint a, um, a person to the committee. We don't want to make this partisan. We don't want to make it. We want to make it 
as, as open and as transparent as possible a process. Mechanicville has adopted some updates to its charter over the years, but has preserved its system of government. A change to the system itself, if recommended by the committee, would need to be approved in a referendum. Sieber described the commission-style form of government as five governments running simultaneously, a system that can present administrative challenges. With low salaries, Sieber adds, the system does not welcome younger people or those already working full-time jobs. The way it's structured is the commissioners are administrative and legislative. So they, all, they have a responsibility of running various departments. And if someone has a job or you know or a full-time job, it's very difficult for them to... Uh, to, uh, to participate in this form of government. And then the other two positions, which is mine, which is I'm the Commissioner of Accounts and the Commissioner of Public Works, they're full-time positions. And, you know, the pay, I'm not so sure, is it, you could support a family on, let me just say that. On January 1st, 2022, the part-time positions of Mayor, Commissioner of Finance, and Commissioner of Public Safety will pay $12,270. The full-time positions of Commissioner of Accounts and Commissioner of Public Works will pay $38,855 and $51,125, respectively. Sieber suggests a form of government with a strong mayor, city manager, or administrator to focus on the day-to-day could allow for more people to get involved in local government. Much like a school board. And, um, and I just think that would be better for the long-term health of the city. And it would just streamline the operation. I think it would make it more efficient. In order to be considered valid for the November election, according to state law, the language of a referendum must be submitted to the state at least three months before the election. With an August deadline, outgoing Mayor Baker acknowledged eight months is a relatively short time frame for the review committee to ready a November ballot initiative, but he isn't in a rush. It may be the November after, but uh, I, I do think it's something they really have to consider. So. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Lucas Willard. And that about does it for this week's show. We had help from the New York State Public Radio Network. For copies, call 1-800-323-9262. That's 1-800-323-9262. Ask for program number 2201. Or just listen or schedule a podcast on the web at wamc.org. And join us again next week at this same time. For more news on New York State government and politics, for the Legislative Gazette, I'm David Gustina. David Gustina.